You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 525, How Girl Power Changed Britain, or Did It? Rick Astley, The Blossoms and Unusual Collaborations, and From Genesis to the Stranglers, The Long Goodbyes. That's all coming up after Dexie's Midnight Runners, and there, there, my dear. do Dexes have in common with the fall? Well, there are 44 ex-members of the Dexes since 1978, as well as the current nine members. That's that's quite a lot of Dexy people. That's a Laurel or Outcast, isn't it? Wow. That's a lot. That's quite an achievement. Uh, This is a track from their first album, Searching for the Young Soul Mm. Rebels. As a single, it reached number seven on the UK chart in 1980, Dexes Midnight Runners, and There There My Dear. A very rousing opening, if I might say so, Terence. Well, well picked, well chosen. Welcome along to the Parish Council. It's episode 525. I'm Terence Stackham. And say there, there, my dear, to her at your peril. It's <laughs> Juliet Harris. I mean, obviously, it's all right if it's you, Terence. And oh, it's all right you. if it's someone that's in my gang. But if yeah. it's some unknown chap, to, to quote my former a sort of a futuristic graphic heading I got from someone that was the, the header to my Facebook for ages. Thanks so much for that, random man. Your opinion has been noted. <laughs> so if you are a random man, perhaps best not to call me dear. However, if you are my nearest and dearest, I see it as a term of affection. Hi, everyone. 
Now, there, there are some people in music who are always going to be associated with a band, a project, an album, yes. other musicians. And the harder they try to distance, them, distance mm. themselves, the closer that association seems to harden. The Gallagher brothers just can't shake off the yes. Oasis connection. Tony Hadley is destined to spend the rest of his life rejoining and leaving Sandow <laughs> Ballet. Yes. Uh, one year, Martin Fry wants to forget all about the lexicon of love. The next year, he's promoting yet another remix of it. And so it is for <laughs> Victoria, Mel B, Emma, yes. Mel C and Jezza, who have all moved Jezza. on. <laughs> Not Jezza. to be confused with the former leader of the opposition, yeah. No. <laughs> um, this is Jezza Halliwell, all moved on from the Spice Girls, but uh, endlessly destined to eventually reform and then disintegrate again. Currently, Channel 4 here in the UK uh, is running a series, The Spice Girls, How Girl Power Changed Britain, to which my first question, Jules, is, um, did it? Well, I have to say, I very much enjoyed this documentary. And and to contextualise this, and that's a very late review word, but to contextualise this, I was 12 in 1996. So I experienced girl power at the time. I was there. I was a girl that I was, that, that thing from Notting Hill, just a girl standing in front of a man asking him <laughs> to love her. I was just a girl standing in front of a counter in Virgin asking a man to give me the Spice Girls album. I did have Spice Girls. And he said, I, there, there, my dear. He <laughs> did, yeah. Yes, and nothing was ever heard from him again. Who knows what happened to him? But um, so I very much enjoyed this. What I liked about this documentary, and I will answer your opening gambit in due course, but what I enjoyed very much about this documentary it, so so the sort of polar opposite I complained and this is this is my, the, the want of a woman to change her mind I complained bitterly about the Rolling Stones documentary the other week because it didn't have anybody from the Rolling Stones involved in it actually I enjoyed this Spice Girls documentary because it had them in archive footage it had a lot of people that had been around them at the time I, and it opens with this astonishing footage <laughs> of of Miranda. It seemed seemingly got from Miranda Sawyer, who I thought, oh, you know, she's very good, Miranda Sawyer. And she had some very interesting things to say about girl power in this. But I thought, oh, the girls are talking head and everything. The reason she was on a talking head in this is that we were shown footage of the auditions for the film Tank Girl, um, which they did an open call out in in London. In the end, it was just a film star. It was Laurie Perry that was that was in it, who had been in been in um, other things. It would it turned out she was not an unknown at all but they did this unknown sort of casting call out much the same way as they got uh, Kerry, Kelly McDonald for train spotting they had sort of a one of those cattle call um cattle call type um type type auditions where lots of people came in and Miranda Sawyer was sent along as a journalist I can't remember who for now some magazine to go and do it um it was a Laurie Petty by the way sorry not Laurie Petty not Laurie Perry but anyway Miranda Sawyer sent along he's got the video footage of her going to the tank guard auditions and she meets someone there who says oh I don't really know why I'm at this I just sort of come to all of these auditions really um and then we get footage of an astonishing young Victoria Adams as she then was and now is Victoria Beckham who bless her soul says in you know in her regulation black mini dress amongst all these women with shaved heads trying to look like tank girl and says hi i'm victoria and i'm an actress and i don't i'm not really dressed suitably for this role but anyway i'm here and the girl next to her is jerry halliwell and that's how they met at the tank girl auditions and that was a hell of a start to that documentary. I've read David Sinclair's excellent book about the Spice Girls. I do not remember Victoria Adams and Jerry Halliwell meeting at the Tank Girl auditions. That was that was very, very startling. It told a really good story, I think, this documentary. It was a sort of a cracking pace. And it, it really did show, firstly... And people will never say this, but there have only ever been two British groups that had been, well, okay, then we'll say three, we'll count the wrong stands. There have only ever been three British groups that you would say were genuinely all around the world famous, and only two that you'd say were really kind of, you know, changed a generation. And one is the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, but not, I would say, change a generation. The two generation changes are the Beatles and the Spice Girls. And people, you know, po-faced male musicians and music fans won't have that. Only the Spice Girls have had the worldwide impact in, in terms that the Beatles had. There are some comparisons as well, sort of a male Svengali behind them. Um, 
I, I love the fact that the Spice Girls got completely trashed, by, 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 particularly by a very articulate young girl on one of those Saturday morning programmes yes. about, she about was she was very I, worthy, I assume yes. she I assume she's now running ICI or something yeah. because she was extremely bright. Anyway, I can't remember what she was called. She was called something like Matilda or Philippa or something footing, wasn't she? But anyway, there, there, there was this kind of huge sort of um paradox at the center of them that they that they just they flogged everything the spice girls they made they made themselves and many other people a lot of money flogging everything it would seem having said that the beatles did the same thing and it was a cause of great bitterness and probably started the chain of events that led to epstein's death that that they didn't see any money from that because the rights were sold but it does make me laugh that the spice girls were seen as having sold out for advertising things whereas the beatles images were on things all around the world and they weren't exercise in the same way i loved the anarchy of it and actually weirdly the spice girls were pretty anarchic they were they were really i mean the, the tales of them just bursting into various record company kitchens and just giving them the spice girls experience was, was were really really interesting i think they were they were punk in a way that they they didn't they weren't the supremes they didn't all come out in nice dresses they just they looked like a rag bag because that's probably what they were really and i thought it was really I found parts of it quite moving, actually, particularly the footage of the young. There was a lovely sort of sequence of video camera footage of young girls talking about girl power, which I, I, I found quite moving in a way. And someone saying that they got over bullying by realising that, you know, they had to channel the spirit of girl power, which I, I really quite enjoyed. It was quite amusing that that it actually came from um, Kathleen Hanna and the, and the the riot girls in the US, which was a punk movement. God knows how, as, as Miranda Soy said, Jerry Halliwell was one of those magpies. She was their ideas woman. She would just pick things here and there. I don't know how Jerry Halliwell came across the uh, the the riot girl zine girl power. Who knows how where she got that from? But she. What we will see in the next episode, I think, is that she was the heart of the Spice Girls. And when she went out of it, so did the heart from the Spice Girls, really. They they were a real contradiction. But they, they, their spirit and what they were doing as well. And there was lots of talk in this documentary of how music that was marketed at girls, particularly young women, but particularly girls up until that point, was the sort of safe boy bands of Take That and things like that. And, and, and women were... Women had bands marketed them that they were to lust over, even the Beatles to some extent, although they weren't marketed deliberately like that, I don't think. But but women, you know, women appreciated bands they were men to scream at. And I think the Spice Girls were the first female band that were really marketed for women. And and I, I loved that. And actually, I think it did have an impact. Every young woman I know of my age really liked the Spice Gods. Whether or not we chose to admit it at the time was another matter. But but we 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 just, you know, that they were sort of our generation's band. And yes, it is ever diminishing returns. And yes, I kind of uh, for me the most iconic a bit of the Olympics closing ceremony was when the Spice Girls were driven in on taxi and uh, Victoria Beckham clung on to dear life to the pole at the front of her taxi as it jerked away. And I thought, God, you really don't want to be doing this, do you? <laughs> on top of a taxi that's jerking about all over the place and a band that you haven't been in for years. But um, I enjoyed it. And I do think the Spice Girls had an impact, whether or not whether or not they did the right thing, whether or not they were compromised by the fact that they would just flog anything or they ended up letting themselves flogging anything and that diluted. I mean, Miranda Sawyer put it well as it was diluted feminism. But having said that, perhaps it was gateway feminism as well. I don't know. The flip side to that is, well, it became about ladettes and that was still using men as your frame of reference. So that was still, as Miranda Sawyer put it well, can you drink more than this man over here? Can you be more rowdy? You know, you were still being one of the boys rather than necessarily being your own thing. Although some of the women argue that they made them feel very emancipated. I don't know. I think it did have an impact. I I I think you might understand it more if you were a young girl at the time if the, if, if, of the Spice Girls. But I think it did change things and I think that it, it I think it did empower women and I think it was a refreshing change to have a band of women for women actually. In terms of the documentary, I thought it's been very well made for uh, Channel 4. And it did, as you mentioned, have a could have been a flaw that no members of the Spice Girls agreed to appear in it. Um, also, Simon Fuller doesn't appear. And so the only context of him that we get is brief clips of him yes. entering or leaving buildings, it seems. I mean, I, I'm not convinced uh, that Simon Fuller has been in Britain for years. I have a, Do you know about my Simon Fuller connection? I can't remember if I've told you or not. No, I don't know it. 
He's from Hastings, and oh, his dad was my first headmaster at primary school. Good lord! Well, I, <laughs> I went to his memorial service, if I remember correctly. Oh, so, so yes, this is the um, uh, this is the, the Hastings mafia strike again. Yeah, yeah, there is a minimum of talking heads, and the handful that appear mm. do have relevance. And I agree with you totally, uh, particularly Miranda Sawyer, yes, who yes, that, that archive footage uh, for the Tank Girl, as you say, as well as Victoria Adams and Jerry Halliwell. Of course, there was Davina McCall uh, yes, in it as well. Yes, she pops up at the beginning, and it, it just goes to show how many people are trying to be famous at any given time, doesn't it? Yeah. Particularly in the 90s as well, where yeah, everything did. Sure. It felt a lot more, sorry to, to cut across you, but it felt a lot, everything felt a lot more up for grabs. Mm. There was, a, they sort of, the Spice Girls shouldn't have worked in the way that they did. And indeed, they, they actually did a runner on their first managers, didn't they? In Jerry's well, car overnight. Yes. I, I, I thought that, that Chris Herbert was a lot more dignified about it than probably I would have been. He he was quite <laughs> laissez-faire about it, really. Perhaps he wasn't at the time. <laughs> I, I'm not sure about the changing Britain thing. I'm just asking you about this in, in perhaps a sort of slightly different way. Yeah, by the way, there was some decent old footage of the Spice Girls in this documentary um, despite their lack of participation but the the thing is um, like like any fad in youth culture like uh, Mm. Bay City Roller Mania or screaming followers of David Cassidy you know 20 years before uh, the Spice Girls it, I thought it did look a bit weird and dated in retrospect. Now, I very much take on that you say, you know, it was aimed at you. And of course, it wasn't aimed at me, who I was already approaching 40 when this kicked <laughs> off and I'm a bloke. Goodness but, me, you're still the people's prince of pop, yeah. but do carry on. But the thing is, what I came away feeling from it was that looking back, I felt that the girl power slogan, was little more than that because it turned into just a slogan that was used as a form of branding from everything mm. from t-shirts to dolls and stickers which we saw on mm. the on the film and i felt it had no more meaning or power really than the clash spraying slogans on mm. camden walls in 1976 well, i, I can't see what was achieved through the, the well, well in a way they sort of I mean, I, I do think that, that they did that that message did stick with some young mm. girls. I must admit. Having said that, though, and we'll learn more, I think, in the next part. Mm. But I think it was Nikki Chapman was very involved in the early days of the Spice Girls. She people might remember her as one of the judges on the original Pop Idol program, which brought yes. us Gareth Gates and Will Young. And she speaks a lot of sense whenever she's on things. David Sinclair's excellent book Wannabe, by the way, the former rock critic from the Times, it's very worth worth reading. By the way, you can c- come across it fairly cheaply, I think. And it is great. And she has a lot of interesting things to say in that. And she summed it up when she said they all approached it at the beginning by saying, we'll have two years of this being top of the pops. And then and then, you know, that's it. We're in this for two years. In the end, they had four, but they had two years before before Jerry left. And as Nikki Chapman said, when I saw her interviewed on read her in this book, I can't remember where, where she was speaking, but she said part of the part of the appeal of the Spice Girls brand to girls and part, what made them so refreshing is that wannabe in itself, the single is not what women usually sing about as they say on the programme. It's, it's, but it's singing about bonds between women. And of course, the refrain was friendship never ends. And of course, friendship did end because Jerry left. And yeah. and that was and, and, and the um, sort of unstoppable gang. And there very much was the impression that when the, the poor woman, it's worth mentioning her, poor old Leanne Morgan, the Spice Girl, oh, she, yes, the yeah. woman that, that was very nearly almost there, who was picked as one of the original five and then was too old compared to the rest of the girls at the age of 23, wasn't she? Or something ridiculous. Yes. Anyway, she never really got over it. No, it, although, it, I mean, she seemed to years. Well, she seemed to flip between being philosophical. She, her mm. biggest regret seemed to be going to the press about it. She did mm. say that. She regretted that more. But uh, what seems so, what was such a shame about it was that they they were marketed as a gang and they really were a gang. They, they were sort of thrown together and they seemed to have a chemistry that made them more than the sum of their parts. Once they got Emma Bunton involved, they all had something the others didn't have and they were this incredible gang. And when Jerry left, they were they were done for really and it kind of sort of mortally weakened them partly because she was the one that was the pushiest she's the one that you see on the mobile phone all the time and apparently when they dumped Simon Fuller and decided to go it themselves Nikki Chapman spoke of it's Jerry that's on the phone trying to order minicabs to take them to their next radio session she was the one that sort of drove and drove and Mm. and they weren't a gang anymore and and 
perhaps that gap damaged the girl power message in that in that you know that this idea of this kind of unstoppable sort of force and and you know women versus the world it all rather collapsed which is a shame but having said that the fact that we're still talking about them 25 years on no other no other british group since has has touched their reach in the way that they have they did do something very special and you know the fact that they were you know they that they sold a hell of a lot of tickets through their reunion tour a few years ago virtually every young woman i didn't go but virtually every young woman i did i knew took a gang of women with them to wembley and these were people that were some of them took their own kids you know mm. so so i think they did have an impact whether whether or not it was the impact that they originally meant to have i don't know quite a lot of spice girl stuff is probably in landfill now and deservedly so the thing about the photographs my friend collected those did you see that bit about how much the photographs were a a pound for a packet of eight 120 to collect um yeah there were there were parts of that that were that were execrable but then having said that i don't know I, i couldn't help but like them really just because the pop music is great and will stand the test of time i think and david sinclair argued this in his book 20 years ago and i think he'd write and uh I like the fact that they just they were quite chaotic, weren't they? They were chaotic neutral, to quote the uh, to quote the, the world of Dungeons and Dragons. And I, I liked the Spice Girls chaos, and I do think a bit of it filtered down. If you would like to see this Spice Girls, mm. how girl power changed Britain, it's available on demand in the UK at all four the Channel Four on demand service. Coming right up, unusual music collaborations. Yes including Rick Astley. Um, <laughs> that's next after LCD Sound System. Read all the pamphlets and watch the tapes. Read all the pamphlets and watch the tapes. Read all the pamphlets and watch the tapes. Uh, get all confused when you mix up the dates.
absolutely love the answer, the album that this comes from. I think it's a timeless classic. It's Sound of Silver is the album. That's LCD Sound System. And I love the kind of the uh, the relentlessness of that album particularly. And I think that track is a good example of it. That is Watch the Tapes. Yeah, it's a great track, great band, apparently on hiatus at the moment. So I, yes. I hope they return. I mean, James Murphy's always seemed to be a bit of a lore unto himself, but I enjoy his slightly, uh, slightly sort of he, the man that always seems to have a cold at any given moment in time. It's a bit like the, the Sean Dyche of the singing world and that he always sounds completely wrecked in his voice. I mean, Sean Dyche just sounds like he's been up and all night shouting every single time he's interviewed. And James Murphy always feels like he's just been pulled out of bed with flu. And they go, James, you've got to do this vocal now. And I, I love his kind of Chucky from Rugrats kind of bunged up vocals. I think I think they're always appealing to me well we've had nick cave and kylie minogue Mm. Uh, we had the abysmal example of metallica and lou reed Mm. david bowie and bing crosby and more recently elton john unexpectedly uh, teamed up with queens of the stone age on Mm. their track fair weather friends perhaps none of us were ready for the latest collaboration to raise eyebrows and that is rick astley teaming up with blossoms and not only that but getting together in order to cover songs from the smiths now (laughs) some people on social media at least were a little bit sniffy about this project including me yes (laughs) but for many who love the smiths catalog but who don't want to hear any more from morrissey thank you very much this is perhaps a sort of ideal payoff rick astley and the blossoms they've announced a couple of dates in october but a week ago there was a bit of a preview when um rick joined the blossoms on stage and sang panic and this charming man Mm. and from the clips on social social media i thought it looked and sounded wonderful so are you in favor jules oh well i was sniffy at first and then i then i saw them perform together and i thought you know what i really like this and johnny <laughs> Marr has described it as funny and horrible at the same time which you know i can understand why johnny Marr might have opinions on this i rick astley has kind of become one of those he's had a very unlikely second and third musical life hasn't he really never going to give you up was everywhere his star faded, and then all of a sudden he became a vi- one of the first viral internet sensations i think in people being rick rolled that was a very early sort of internet meme thing and um, that seemed to give him a sort of a second chance he seems a very affable guy he seems mm. like one of those people who you can't help but like really and you just think oh well fair play rick astley for you know you were a one-hit wonder and then you were an internet one-hit wonder and now you're now you're doing this crazy thing it it looks like a lot of fun my friend did actually say do you want to try and get tickets from manchester we didn't in the end but i i'm all in I, i'm all in favor of this now just because like you i would rather not be troubled by morrissey and his views mm. again and and i just think I think it's it's a right quite right as way of doing it however when it comes to dream collaborations for me that nearly happened but didn't nirvana were induced indicted i never know anyway inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame hmm. um in 2014 and the ceremony took place at brooklyn's barclays center on april the 10th uh, but kirk capone of course very much no longer with us at this point i think they were they were inducted 20 years after his death so they decided because kirk capone and the various lists he's left behind the music that he really loved was a very big champion a genuine champion of female artists so they decided sensibly to get some female singers in because if you got a man they would just try and sound like Kurt Cobain so I thought this was very wise um they got four stand-in performers they got St Vincent um Annie Clark Joan Jett um Kim Gordon of Sonic Youth who of course knew him personally and slightly more strangely but fair enough Lord who was very much one of the young stars of the day at that point they were very pleased to have them along, I think, but they they had um they had a first choice in mind who they really wanted to perform, who Kurt Cobain had been a very big fan of and had included some of this this woman's records in his best of list. And they tried and tried for her and she really wanted to do it. And they couldn't, she couldn't, she was on tour and she couldn't get the dates. They couldn't work the date out. It didn't work. And that's why we didn't see PJ Harvey fronting the oh. <laughs> Can you oh, imagine? Yeah. They wanted her to do Milk It from In Utero. And they said, Kurt Cobain, uh, Grohl said, Kurt loved PJ Harvey. would always imagine playing our song Milk It from In Utero with her. It's a twisted song, almost like something that could have been on her record, Rid of Me, which was also produced by Steve Albini. Um, it just seemed to pair up so well. Unfortunately, she couldn't make it and then they said well in which case we'll get some other female singers in and that's why they ended up getting the other four i just i just wish that that could have happened because that would have been 
marvellous I think I would have loved to have mm. seen that and what what a lovely idea that an artist that Kurt Cobain loves so much be sort of a so it's kind of perhaps a bit less silly than Blossoms and, and Rick Astley but but there's, there's a place for that as well I think that's a that's a, you know that that's a very that's a, what what could have been Terence didn't we almost have it all <laughs> I did some searching around and found a couple of weird collaborations mm. uh one of which I must say passed me by together which is this one back in 2012 dappy from n dubs oh wow that perpetual irritant i remember him teamed up with brian may from queen for a single called rockstar (laughs) and it reached number two in the uk i don't remember it at all i I don't remember it either but then that 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 was the the phase when everything was at number one for a week wasn't it oh yeah so pretty successful if rather unlikely um the other one that i i kind of knew about I just uh but I watched a clip of this on YouTube uh this week S- Slash from Guns N' Roses uh, released a solo album in 2010 and perhaps again unexpectedly it features Fergie from Black Eyed Peas speaking of perpetual uh, irritants good yeah, me well you see, yes exactly but on YouTube there's a clip of them covering Sweet Child of Mine and mm. Fergie is actually superb it's <laughs> she? Yeah, she really gives it some and she's great Um, i take it back i take it back i just i'm just not keen on london bridge and and her interpretation of that i must admit well i can give you some more unusual musical collaborations if you like we've had we've had some of the ones that you've mentioned uh sarah and john and queens of the stone age anybody elton john pops up on the track fairweather friends on their 2013 album like like clockwork um the Linkin Park's 2017 track, um, uh, Good Goodbye, featuring a guest spot from none other than British grime star Stormzy. Obviously a collaboration <laughs> okay. made in heaven. Mm-hmm. Perhaps the, perhaps an unexpected collaboration, which is actually extremely good. And I would recommend, who would have thought that an album called Foreverly, the music of the Everly Brothers, can, can perform by Nora Jones and... Green Day's Billy Joe Armstrong would be good. Mm. And it is absolutely outstanding. I can't recommend it highly enough. It is really, really great. I would recommend that. So uh, and perhaps mm. also unexpected duets. And Queen, Queen were at it again when they, they allowed themselves to be co-opted onto regrettable boy band five, spelt five I, number five I-V-E, um, yeah. in the same way as an ATM machine is an ATMM. Um, <laughs> five I, um, and Queen did We Will Rock You together, which was um, ill-advised I suppose now that it's so easy to create mashups that we mm. can almost put together any combination yes. but I did I've got two um, dream collaborations mm, that I, I would love to see I'd maybe like to see Paul Weller and Kate Bush get together to maybe cover the best of Bacharach and David yes that would be good I'd like That'd that good but my big wish is this one St. Etienne and Todd Rundgren to cover the Beatles. Yes! Oh, do you know what, Terence? You and me, we're going to make this happen. Let's. Ju- that would be just ju- so great. Juliet Harris and Terence met uh, Terence Stackham's meltdown 2025. You heard it here first. <laughs> so Rick Rick Astley with the Blossoms. They're in Manchester on the 8th of October and London on the 9th of October. I bet they end up doing more dates. Surely there's so. a national tour in that. If they I, if they sell out, I would you'd go. Think, yeah. I, I'd go. Brighton, mm. Nottingham, you know, them, them, there's legs in this, I think. Yeah. Coming next from Genesis, not to Revelation, but to the Stranglers. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> That's right after with Erin Moran on guest vocals, The Last Detail. All is forgiven. Come on and bring me the news. See what might happen. One thing I hate is to lose. I've learned my lesson, I'll be good to you 
what's the deal? Please let me know for real. I'm sinking in despair. I wish so much it could be. Lovely new track released this month, enhanced by a guest appearance from Erin Moran, a girl called Eddie. The last detail, and I'm sorry. Oh, that is, that's excellent. And it's all right, Terence, you're forgiven. <laughs> and that's on your um, Elephant label. On oh, my Elephant Records, my yeah. beloved Elephant, spelt with an F Records. Yeah. Ever reliable source of tunes, I think, yes. Elephant. They, they pick well. With the uh, with the restrictions around the world now being lifted sufficient uh, sufficiently for some mm. level of live entertainment to be rebooted, yes. a number of heritage acts are back out there. This week, the Rolling Stones played their first show without Charlie Watts, and it was mm. it was also the first date in a tour by Genesis uh, that has been postponed mm. a couple of times uh, due to the pandemic. And the tour is titled, or more realistically branded, The Last Domino, with a question mark after the word Mm. domino. Artists are encouraged to give tours titles or (laughs) branding now, as it can be captured as one-off marketing on anything from T-shirts to posters to hats. There are 59 items of merchandise available on the Genesis website. It's big business. Uh, A T-shirt is $35, a Last Domino T-shirt, $35. Promotional interviews for the Genesis tour have been dominated by the site and reports of the poor health of Phil Collins, who Mm. cannot stand unsupported now and is further troubled by several other issues. Um, Even so, as a vocalist, he remains the main figure in the band as he sings his parts from a chair in the middle of the stage. Mm. And I saw some footage of Genesis rehearsing for the tour. And I Mm. noticed that Phil Collins was dressed in an extremely casual manner in a couple of really (laughs) ragged and creased tops. Then this week I saw photos of him at the first live gig um, at the end, taking a bow with um, the the other two, Rutherford and Banks, Mm. expecting he might have made, I thought, some small concession to presentation. But no, still wearing rags are the kind we might be too embarrassed to wear gardening so Jules a couple of questions for you does such zero dress sense reflect a lack of respect for the audience paying small fortunes to attend Mm. and broadly of course in the wider picture is this the final farewell for the Genesis boys I mean, I think it has to be the final farewell for the Genesis boys, really, for no other reason. And usually, like you, I'm the first to lay into people that make no effort at things. Mm. I can still remember the hilariously sniffy enemy review of Finlay Quay's big comeback in about 98, 99, where they say he's been off for a couple of years or so. And you'd expect him to come onto stage with a great big flourish for his first show back. And instead, he wanders on looking like somebody that has just spent the afternoon plastering your front room. And and <laughs> usually I'm the first to... to yeah. To sort of knock people for that. In this case, my general impression is that Phil Collins is not well enough to be doing this. What is he mm. doing? He he doesn't. I mean, the, the the review in the Guardian seems to suggest that he gave a powerful performance and that they were given sort of they, they they're given four stars and that his you know that that his his catalogue was worn well and that his performance of it sort of gives it new life. But I just don't think he should be doing this, really. I mean, I, I, I don't. The sight of him shambling and literally being a shambles towards mm. the front of the stage at the end, I just feel. And and you could say, oh well, you know, he's cho- choosing to do this. They're doing it for money, etc. But. Mm. 
it it just it le- I I just feel sorry for the bloke really. And yeah, he, he looks terribly ill, it, but he just he? doesn't. He just doesn't look good. And it just this has got horrible foreshadowing. The idea of him singing down. This reminds me of the last four gigs where Marky e. Smith was doing them on stage in a wheelchair, and on one of the last gigs on a radio mic, lying flat out in the dressing room out the back whilst the band played on stage. This doesn't feel good to me. Um, I can understand why people might want to see the hero for the last time Ge- genesis have never been the coolest of bands and there's some of their stuff that i really dislike but they have done some incredibly enduring songs i have more time for genesis than i do for some of phil collins solo catalog bless him but i i just i just feel uncomfortable with even laying into the fact that he that he's wearing some sort of orienteering fleece on stage just <laughs> just because just because he just looks really ill i just i just I mean, uh, to be fair, I don't think it's shown disrespect to the audience. I'm not convinced that he can that that he can actually get dressed in anything better. Really, mm. he just looks it looks a bit like you know when when oh, when I'm not feeling very well at home and I answer the door to the postman in my pajamas. It's like he's doing that on stage to sort of yes. thousands of people. Yes. And I I don't think this is right. And I can't bring myself to rip into Phil Collins with the usual mirth and merriment that I've often mm. done in the past because I'm just sorry that he's so poorly and I'm sorry that they seem to that him and the people around him think this is an appropriate thing for him to be doing because i'm not convinced it is so in looking at the some of the clips um from the gigs um the gig on um i you know camera phones mm. um a couple of weird things that he was doing as well i don't, I don't mean to labor this point of, mm. of not well filled but he kept bashing his head with a tambourine mm. well, he that's not ideal his forehead with a tambourine so it's a strange thing and um flailing his arms around because his son is doing the drumming because he can't even hold a drumstick yeah. now. So he was like doing mock drumming but without Air drumming. his hands. Yeah. It, it looked really peculiar. Again, I suppose, although I take your point about not being able to get dressed himself, but there's of course there's nobody in the organizational hierarchy that is capable of being able to say to him firstly phil let's get someone to dress you up a little bit so that you're looking like yeah. you're on stage and not uh, going to bed and secondly uh, let's you know have a bit of a review of, of your production don't belt yourself on your bonce with a tambourine and wow. don't wave your arms around like the wild man of borneo but um no i, I found some of the details from the pre-gig genesis interviews quite enlightening and, and rather odd also in that colin said that despite urging from mike rutherford and tony banks he was refusing to rehearse his vocal parts which seemed a peculiar thing and i thought perhaps that's linked to his depression and other um mm. sort of issues that he has uh, in in his life that he again they, they were worried that his voice won't make it to the end of the tour because mm. he's not putting any any effort into building up his vocals he's just getting on stage somehow and as you say in, in a marky smith fashion just sort of getting the words out somehow um, yeah absolutely and and i don't know I, it's a bit ghoulish for me i must mm. admit i'm not i'm not sh- i'm not sure the moment hasn't passed yeah another band out for possibly a last hurrah are the stranglers who are just about to set off on a five-month tour incorporating a lot of europe uh, before finishing with a lengthy set of dates in the uk um clearly despite only having one original member left they remain popular that their new album debuted at number four on mm. the uk uh, album chart that's this a week. very good that's a very good result and the album's chart generally is giving lots of yeah. sort of veteran bands lots of joy um, manic street preachers with their, yeah. their their first number one album the other week or the first in some time anyway um mogwai had their first mm. number one album on the album's chart earlier this year maximo park made it to number two I don't have much time for the Stranglers Jewels, but uh, does their violent, cold-hearted, exploitative misogyny appeal to you at all? I like their music very much, actually, and always have done. And when I was younger, I went on a slightly foolhardy mission to try and collect as many as their seven-inch singles as possible. I still have quite a lot of them. I think that they they produce some incredibly punchy music. Punchy, perhaps, being the appropriate mm. word for it, really, given the the travelling circus around the Stranglers. A friend of mine became an acquaintance of, of one of the Stranglers a few years ago in slightly chaotic circumstances and had nothing but good things to say about him and said that he was actually a very nice friend. But... Um, 
I I find that I find the Stranglers are, I mean like you say we've had this before can you separate the music from mm. the people and I mean I I listened to their singles a lot when I was younger and very much enjoyed them without necessarily knowing very much about their chaotic kind of reputation and some of the violence and kicking people on stage and all that kind of stuff I just thought they were a really good punk band with quite an energy about them which as a, a teenager I found very enjoyable and as a result of which, yes, the 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 travelling circus around them is is not great, is it? And and their 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 meanness is 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 not nice. Having said that, I very much enjoy some of their music. So so I wouldn't necessarily say they were one of my favourite ever bands, but uh, that their music has a real energy and a real grit about it, which that does not translate nicely in real life. But I quite enjoy them on record. I think the Stranglers had almost nothing in common with punk, but desperately needed a bandwagon on which to mm. jump to popularise themselves and so began behaving violently to journalists and inviting women to strip on stage and generally uh, portraying themselves as boorish characters to try and fit in with a sort of faux pistols punk which, which is a shame because their music has a lot more to it than that and some of their some of their their sort of organ and synth driven stuff waltz in black golden brown is really innovative music that i think is it has stood the test of time golden brown is a is an amazing lolloping pop song about heroin <laughs> yes um so yeah all, all the best to you if you're a fan and you're going to one of the tour dates um i checked <laughs> 25 quid for a t-shirt so cheaper than genesis absolutely but if you are going to see the stranglers do take some sort of crash helmet and protective yes. clothing which maybe you can buy a crash helmet from the merchandise store yes, that's so. a merchandising opportunity buy a baseball bat for one of the stranglers to hit you with <laughs> maybe yeah. see i should be doing their marketing terence and uh, don't go on stage and take your clothes off that's uh, my other well and, and not well unless of course they give you the clothes as part of the merchandise <laughs> anyway yes perhaps perhaps best if you don't Thanks very much for listening this week. Ditto, uh, as always. And uh, Jules, as you won't be touring with the Stones, <laughs> Genesis or the Stranglers, you'll be free to appear with an audio presentation of Smooth Sailing. I will, yes. Um, much like Abba the previous week, I will be appearing with the Stranglers in hologram form, which will allow me <laughs> to uh, to be on the radio through the means of technology, the magic of tech, 7 to 9pm at mixer.com forward slash Juliet hyphen Harris or search Juliet Harris. Um, I do Smooth Sailing. You can uh, find me on the Mixer, like I sound Juliet Harris on Mixer, and I have a show reel there. You can hear all the previous shows, and it is about as far removed from the Stranglers, although I might play Golden Brown, actually that might fit there's music of a sort of a classic pop yacht rock uh, sort of relaxing yet uplifting tunes so who knows they might the stranglers might make an unlikely appearance this week <laughs> uh, speaking of smooth sailing um play we're playing out with a track that you featured um last weekend I did, yes. I'm slightly obsessed with this song at the moment, particularly with this band who are called Metronomy. Uh, Joseph Mount leading them. They're, they're sort of his gang, but he's added more members that have become permanent over the years. And he's a bit of a pop genius. As a friend of mine said to me once, all of a sudden he's just fallen in how to do pop music, doesn't he? Hasn't he? You can hear him. He's, he's worked it out and, and produces these brilliant albums. I particularly like this album. It's called The English Riviera. It felt very apt for smooth sailing. And I love this sound of this tune, which is sort of 10cc meets super tramp but they're the kind of but a little bit more disco i love the swooning vocals on this it's really dreamy and it's so it's based on a bass line that you really could set your watch to i think it is a, it's a marvelous track and it's kind of fitting i think for this weird weather we're having at the moment where it's kind of the fag end of summer when it should be autumn and there are lots of uh there are lots of autumn articles telling us that we have to wear brown and and you know eat soup and do all those autumn things at the moment yet on the southeast coast it's often 20 degrees plus during the day at the moment and so this woozy end of summer vibe suits me well for this music i think these are metronomy and this is the Bye. Those endless 
Listening to a Parish Council production.